The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn presents... From entrepreneurship to global business leadership, from challenges to self-discovery to our ever-changing future, what separates those who win and those who get passed by? This is The Yes Factor with Winnie Sun. Hello, friends. I'm Winnie Sun, and this is the first episode of The Yes Factor podcast. I am so excited to be here with all of you. Let me just tell you, you're in for a treat because our first interview to kick it off, new season is with the one and only Scott Miller. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Scott, no worries. You'll get to meet him in just a moment. He is currently Franklin Covey's Senior Advisor on Thought Leadership. Let me just tell you, he has so many stories to share with us. He has multiple best-selling books on thought leadership, and his newest book he's going to share is Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights on Our Greatest Minds. I'm going to be asking him which stories really resonated with him. And of course, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about food and everything in between. So get ready, get comfy, grab your drink. Let's get started. One and only Scott Miller. Hello, Scott. How are you? Winnie, I'm great. Nice to see you. Thanks for the interview today. Well, thank you so much, my friend, for being here. What a treat. You are sort of like the definition of owning the human side of all of us, right? I love that so many of your books start with the word mess because I think a lot of us can identify with we wake up and sometimes we feel like we're a mess. We have three sons and sometimes we feel like we're a mess. And, you know, Sometimes like I feel like my desk is not as nice and I would use the same word, but you seem to have used that and have written so many best-selling books with that in the title. That's pretty awesome. It's true. And I thank you for the compliment. You know, I've spent my entire 30-year career in the leadership development industry with the Franklin Covey Company, of course, founded by Dr. Stephen R. Covey, the author of the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and was the chief marketing officer of this global public company for a decade. And what I began to realize is that when most leadership books were very aspirational, you can see many behind me, like these are the books in my podcast studio. And they all kind of ended up wrapping up nicely with a bow. But that's not how leadership is. It doesn't how life or parenting is. And so I wrote a series of books, uh, marketing mess to brand success, management mess to leadership success, job mess to career success. And because I think as leaders, as parents, as spouses, as friends, we have to acknowledge that we all have messes in life. And the more we can talk about them and teach through them, we make it safe for other people to own their mess as well. I think it's just fine to be able to be vulnerable enough. It's actually a competency, a leadership competency to talk about your mistakes and your challenges and then teach through them. People want to relate to their leaders now more so perhaps than ever. Agree. Like I, I couldn't I couldn't say yay to that 
even more than I could now. But Scott, you know, I love this because you're learning from other people's mistakes. That's how we get better, right? You're learning from their successes, but also their mistakes and that human connection that each of us has. You know, you have this book that you shared, I know it came out last September called Master Mentors, a 30 transformative insights from our greatest minds. And I love this because I've actually heard, been listening to, to many of your podcast episodes. And I want to say, we got to give a shout out because certainly you have the top performing, top growing leadership podcast out in the universe. So a big hurrah for you. And I, I can understand why, because I started, I started listening to it, Scott, I actually couldn't turn it off. And that's you know, good. that's good. You know, that's really good. And so thank you so much for sharing this. And one thing I've heard you say on a couple of your shows uh, and interviews of you is that you feel like you're sort of that person who is great at collecting stories, right? I've yeah. heard you call it a pollen pollination, if you will. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think as I have, you know, moved into the second phase of my career, not the crescendo yet, but I'm 53 and I'm looking now at what my skills and my talents and my passions and what my genius is, is I really think it's as a pollinator, to quote you, as an aggregator, is that I don't have to invent. I don't have to be an original creator in order to be a value maker. That I think part of my job is to provide a, provide a platform, much like you, Lenny, a, a, a spotlight onto where there is great genius, whether it be a best-selling author or a business titan or a celebrity or perhaps someone that isn't well-known, but they've paid the price to research something around parenting or marketing or culture or the financial markets, whatever it is, and I can help to bring a spotlight to them. So I very much enjoy now this role of being pollinator and aggregator. The book you mentioned, Master Mentors, is basically me shining a spotlight onto 30 of our podcast guests on the podcast that I host on Leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, whether it be Seth Godin or Dan Pink or Liz Wiseman or any number of people, I write a short breezy chapter about something that they shared sometimes on air or sometimes off air with their permission. It's kind of like the chicken soup for the leadership soul where I collect their great stories and then share some of my own struggles around how they've mentored me through some of these own insights. So I'm privileged to have that platform now, that position to be able to bring access to some of the greatest minds in the world. And Master Mentors is now a 10-volume series. I've just finished Master Mentors Volume 2 with 30 new mentors and 30 new insights. And I'm just now beginning Master Mentors Volume 3 on my way to 10 books in that series. That's incredible. I love it. And perhaps you even wrote some of it here um, on your last you. visit in Orange County. But yeah. here's what I want to ask you, Scott. You know, I've heard about what you're doing now. I've certainly studied it, but I would like to learn your backstory and how yeah. you came to your role today. Because, you know, you've been in a company now 20 plus years. I want to know not only your backstory, but also what excites you each morning starting your day. Sure. So I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, as you mentioned, with my wife and our three young sons. But I'm actually from Orlando, Florida, originally born and raised in Central Florida, lived there for my first 26 years, worked for the Walt Disney Company. I actually worked for the real estate development arm, the Disney Development Company, building the town of Celebration. And after four years there, they invited me to leave. Otherwise, they kicked me out. And so where does a single Catholic boy from Orlando move? Well, of course, to Provo, Utah, Winnie, where all the Catholics are, right? 
No, there were no Catholics in Utah 25 <laughs> years ago. So I was privileged to be recruited by Dr. Stephen R. Covey, the famous author, and spent 25 years in the company, lived around the world, London, Chicago, and Salt Lake. And like I mentioned, was the chief marketing officer. And then about three or four years ago, I had I, I realized that most of my career was spent behind the scenes, you know, as producer and director, as the chief marketing officer. And I realized that I had some uh, uh, insights to share from my own leadership journey. So I started writing books and started writing a column for Inc. Magazine, a, a, a podcast like yours, a radio program on iHeartRadio, and began to keynote speak a lot. And it's been a remarkable journey. I've learned a ton about that, what my strengths and weaknesses are. I'm actually a stutterer. I have a pronounced speech impediment. Uh, my entire life has been either with speech pathologists or speech therapists and speech coaches and embraces and headgear and retainers and all that kind of stuff. And so it's unusual for a guy with a, a really debilitating speech impediment to be on the air, but I've worked hard at overcoming it and talk about it very freely. So if I stutter on a word, you'll know that it's not nerves. It's just kind of who I am as a person. And I own that and I'm comfortable talking about it and giving power to other people's, you know, dreams and joys. But to your main question, you know, really what motivates me is a spirit of gratitude. I am so immensely grateful for all the people in my journey that have believed in me more than perhaps I believed in myself as a formal or informal mentor, people that really thought I had, uh, you know, more to contribute than perhaps I did um, at that time myself. They forgave me, they pre-forgave me, they took me under their arm and said, Scott, stop saying that or stop doing that while still letting me be myself. So I'm very grateful to those people, including those 200 guests that have been on our podcast where I've learned an immense amount. I think, you know, the biggest lesson I've learned about what motivates me is I try to live my life every day, not Winnie through the lens of I have to or I ought to, but rather I get to. I get to get up at 2 a.m. and deliver a podcast via Zoom to a client in Dubai. I get to drive my kids to three separate schools in the morning. I get to take out the garbage. I get to terminate someone, not from joy, but I get to release them from perhaps, you know, a job they hate or a mismatch. I really try to live my life through the lens, every decision, every day of, I get to do this. Even when I'm having challenges or not feeling like a hundred bucks, I think of people that are perhaps less fortunate or less privileged than I am. And I try to live my life through a spirit of gratitude in everything I do. I love that. I love that. I get to. Well, I get to spend time with you today, Scott, and I am so grateful to be able to get to do that. And it's so interesting that you say that. You know, you you shared something very, very raw and real to us of your challenges with speaking. And I went through the same thing. My first time on CNBC, I didn't think they would have me on again. And I had to go and, and learn. But I do think these what some people might call weaknesses were opportunities for us to really dig deep and learn more about ourselves, right? And get to um, to a point where we feel more confident. So I, I love this. And 200 guests, Scott, how incredible. Now, Scott, you know, I've heard you say that most, if not all of us, um, aren't really born as great leaders. So we got to go there because obviously your podcast is about leadership, um, certainly you're a leader to me, to many of us who read your content and, you know, uh, watch your show, listen to your podcast. Um, do you feel like that you're a great leader today? Because I certainly do. And can you talk about some of the steps that you took to be where you are today? To be, to sure. be that comfortable, to be able to say that, you know, we get to be here today. 
well, I don't know if I'm a great leader, but I'm a better leader than I was last month and two years ago and 10 jobs ago. So I'm always improving. I don't know that I believe the concept that people are born great leaders. It doesn't even compute in my head after 30 years in this industry. And I think I have some expertise around that. I'm not sure everyone should be a leader. In fact, I fundamentally disagree with the idea that organizations should create career tracks where you have to lead people in order to be promoted. That's hogwash. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everybody should be a commercial airline pilot. Not everybody should be a podcast host. Not everyone should be a leader of people. And what I think what happens too often is we promote our star individual contributors, right? The best dental hygienist or the, or the most creative digital designer or the top producing salesperson. And we promote them to be the leader of all salespeople. And they, that isn't always their right calling. So first and foremost, I would debunk the idea that everyone should be a leader of people. Now, I think informally, you can lead the culture, right? You can lead an initiative or a project. You certainly lead yourself and lead your family. That doesn't mean you should be leading people in the workplace. Our companies need great individual contributors who can spend their time and energy inventing and deciding and, and listening and growing. And then we need people who can lead and nurture and coach others as well. So I'd say if you're feeling the calling to lead people, you know, kind of ask yourselves these questions is, do I take delight in the success of others? Do I like to see people succeed even beyond my level economically or even professionally? Do I like to collaborate? Do I like to listen? Do I like to coach? Do I like to have high courage conversations and give people feedback on their blind spots? I mean, these are, these are the essence of what leadership really is. And so... I am a better leader than I was several years ago. I'm a better listener. I'm more patient. I'm more considerate of other people's points of views and their feelings. I don't think that I have the right idea all the time. You know, when I was the chief marketing officer, when he, for Franklin Covey, for a decade, almost three times the national average of a CMO of a public company, there used to be a phrase inside the marketing division, best idea wins as long as it's Scott's. And although that was a joke, I think there was a little bit of truth that, you know, Scott was kind of the smartest person in the room when in fact I wasn't. So I've, I've realized the important role that vulnerability and humility play in being a leader of people. I love that you say that because in your discussion of leadership, you haven't talked about the hours in the office. You haven't talked about, you know, pay. You haven't talked about all that. You've talked about more of those very important human traits. Now, we know that most people in companies, maybe not all, I'm sure there are that have found their way through time, but I remember one of my business managers who really helped me a lot. I consider him a mentor. And he said, one thing you got to remember is that you can't change the way people feel. How they feel is how they feel and how you feel is how you feel. You can just control how you react and, and your own you know, thought process. So when, when, when you're working and thinking for yourself, when you were told like, you know, Scott's idea is the best idea, um, what, did, what was sort of the first steps to becoming a better leader for yourself to, to a point that you are today? I think first, Winnie, I had to challenge my mindset, my belief system, my paradigm. And that is that my job as a leader is not to rush in and save the day. My job as the leader is not to have all the great ideas and solve every single problem. In fact, 
The effective leader's mindset, Winnie, is that great leaders achieve results with and through other people. I mean, think about that. Leadership is about achieving results with and through other people. And when that becomes your default mindset, everything changes. You listen more. You're more contemplative. You invest in your people. You build their skill sets. You want them to succeed and surpass you. You don't want to be the person that has to rush in and save the day or become the martyr or the victim. That your job is to build up the competencies around you and have them actually compliment you. I think the best leaders are those that recognize that humility is actually born out of confidence. It's confident people can be humble and humble leaders can be confident. Arrogant people are not capable of demonstrating humility. And so I had to really retool my mindset to realize that when the team felt like, well, Scott's the genius and Scott's the know-it-all and Scott has all the ideas. And sometimes they were, you know, not agreeing with me, right? It wasn't really a compliment. In many ways, it was a criticism that, well, Scott has all the genius. We'll just show up to his meetings, let him do all the work. And I realized my job is not to be a one-hit wonder. My job is to recruit and retain great talent, like talent that's noticeably better than mine and, 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 and take joy in having them rise up around me. And it took me some maturity. I didn't have that maturity in my 30s or my early 40s. I had to kind of grow into that. I think parenting helped. I was single till I was 41. And although, you know, parenting has its challenges, I've learned a lot about being more patient and not always being right and letting other ways of doing it, creating a project, earning a result can be just as valuable as the way I would do it, not always having to be the final word in an argument with my wife as well, too. So I think I am more, I think I'm a better leader because I'm more mature um, as I've aged. And I realized that as a leader, if I'm going to recruit and retain talent, especially now, right in the midst of the great resignation or the great revaluation or whatever is being called in the latest blog post or um, a column, you've got to make sure that you're having high courage, but kind of intimate conversations with your team members, checking in versus checking on. What are their fears? What are their passions? What are their joys? What do they want to do with their lives and their careers? And how can you be a conduit to help make that happen while hopefully marshalling their talent and genius toward your own business goals? That is the new leadership conversation that probably wasn't, wasn't happening for you know decades, if not centuries, in a market economy. We'll be right back with Scott after a brief break. Will AI improve our lives or exterminate the species? What would it take to abolish poverty? Are you eating enough fermented foods? These are some of the questions we've tackled recently on The Next Big Idea. I'm Rufus Griscom, and every week I sit down with the world's leading thinkers for in-depth conversations that will help you live, work, and play smarter. Follow The Next Big Idea wherever you get your podcasts. I love that you shared that. I mean, and you said, you know, humility comes from confidence. I want to come back to that because that was a huge point. And I think that not only humility, but also generosity, that you came to a point where you said, maybe you said it was because you got, uh, you, you got a little bit older, right? You got a little bit more mature. But also, you also said that that came from learning when you parent. I do agree with that. I always say that I'm a better financial advisor because I'm a mom and I'm a better mom because I'm a financial advisor. And I think we yeah. learn from that, that not only is 
um, sh- sharing the spotlight with other people that comes from confidence, but that's also in- very, very important to have that generosity so other people can also reach their full potential. And it's not just us, right? Because it can't be just us. Because that would be a very, very empty world. But I want to come back to that point that you said earlier too, that not everybody needs to be a leader. So for, I know we're getting a lot of, uh, we're, we get a lot of interest when you say that, right? Not everybody needs to be a leader. Uh, not everybody should be a leader. So for someone who maybe is listening to you still kind of finding their way. Maybe they're in their, their teens or in their 20s. They're hearing you say this, Scott. How can they know whether or not they are a leader or this is something that's just not in their DNA? Well, so let me debunk a couple of ideas. And that is that we hear this from human resources a lot, which by the way, I love human resources. They have saved me from myself on countless occasions. So check to people services. But you hear this phrase, Winnie, that you know people are an organization's most valuable asset. That's not true. That is pablum. That is bunk. People are not a company's most valuable asset. It's the relationships between those people that is every organization's killer competitive advantage. Because I can have a guy that has a you know a black belt in Six Sigma, and I can have someone that has you know a a as uh, uh, a Rhodes Scholar from Oxford, the two smartest people in the world. But if they can't get along, they can't compliment, forgive, pre-forgive each other then they're not an asset to me. So as you're looking at your own journey on leadership, you have to ask yourself, do I like, am I good at, can I improve at developing relationships with others? Because as you know, Winnie, every company is now a technology company and every company is in the same business. They are in the people business, the relationship business with your vendors, your suppliers, your funders, your colleagues, your competition, your employees. It's all about relationships now. That's the ultimate competitive advantage is can your people work at the speed of trust? Can they apologize? Can they compliment each other? Can they cover for each other? Do they trust each other? And so the path to leadership requires you to be what Dr. Covey would say is a light, not a judge, a model, not a critic. So write down all of the competencies that you want to see in people that you work with and work for and that report to you and you need to become them. Punctual, trustworthy, collaborative, self-aware, patient, but a bias to action, results-oriented, but emotionally agile and be willing to change your mind and be open to influence. And that isn't the right description for every person. What I just described is a great leader. And I wasn't that in my 20s and my 30s, and I'm still working towards being that. I think the question is to become more self-aware. What are your strengths? Maybe they're not in building relationships. Maybe it's not in patience or envisioning. Maybe you actually are a great individual contributor and you crush it at that. And our companies need millions and millions and millions of trustworthy individual producers. But now those people aren't always the best people to promote into leadership or management. Take, for example, a salesperson. I think one of the best Traits of a salesperson is someone who is highly competitive. They want to win. They want to be at the top of the scoreboard and leaderboard. They want to be on the stage in Maui with the CEO at Chairman's Club. Those are the kind of people you want to be in individual sales roles. But what happens, Winnie, is often we promote those people to become sales leaders, and now they also still want the limelight. They want the attention. They want to earn the most money. They want to be in competition with their sales team. Those are the exact opposite competencies you want in a sales leader. 
You want a sales leader to take great joy in the success of everyone around them, get everyone to the finish line in the hopes that, in fact, they might even earn more money than you do. You might not go to President's Club or Chairman's Club, but your team members not, not or might. So I think you have to just ask yourself, where are my natural strengths? And am I working in an organization that values though? And is there a career path for me not being a leader of people? Now, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of leadership. I just think it's important to recognize, is this the right path for you? I'm not sure it was for me. I'm not sure I was destined to be a leader of people. I probably would have been a great, you know, attorney or a great, you know, residential real estate or perhaps, you know, a CFP or something. There's great ways to contribute without always being a leader of people. The reason I'm harping on it is because I think too often in organizations, we pull our leaders from the wrong criteria. So if you're in an organization, you're responsible for generating a leadership pipeline of people. Make sure you're sitting down and having the conversation. Hey, Winnie, you're the top salesperson. You've hit your quota 12 quarters in a row. We have a job coming up. We're thinking about promoting you. But Winnie, let's talk about that. You do this, this, and this really well. And these are some areas of growth that you're going to have to learn. In fact, these things you do really well, you might have to stop doing as you move into leadership and have a real transparent conversation around what skills you'll take with you, what skills you'll leave behind, and what skills you don't have yet but will need to learn in order to thrive as a leader. It's I an love conversation this. to have. It's a very important conversation, Scott, and I'm so glad you highlighted that because I'm thinking some of you listening are just like, wow, like, like, like the sun has come out because this is so true. Like as someone who has been in the financial industry for over two decades, I remember even my early days at Smith Barney, which then became Morgan Stanley, it was that case where, you know, you were the top producer and it was chairman's club and president's club and all these different clubs and you get all these fancy titles. And then when you reach a certain point, they said, oh, then we'll pull you into leadership and have you then manage other people. But you've been trained to compete as a solo practitioner and now you're asked to lead, which is like just, it doesn't make sense. So I'm really glad that you bring this point up, Scott. I do think that's an opportunity, especially now having gone through the last few years, we're really doing a deep dive of how we can better workplaces and relationships with our colleagues and our teams. And, and we just need to be better. And I think that your point, that point alone, I hope that you will consider re-listening to because it, is that important? I'm definitely going to re-listen to it. So let's talk about this. You just released, I mean, you recently released, I should say, and I know the second one's already done now. So Master Mentors. So you've highlighted 30 really, really important stories that we can learn from in this book, right? But you mentioned over 200 guests that you've had. So I'm just curious because this is something that I do as well as I have guests on the show. How did you even pick Scott? It's not like, you know, it's like picking your favorite child. How were you able to pick the 30? And maybe you could touch upon um, some of the stories that really resonate with you that are found in this book. Because one thing I love, I love the fact that you really talked about higher levels of gratitude for me. You got me right there. Well, it was clear. I just picked the best looking people. That was it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made it in the book. I would have failed. Yeah. I picked people who I thought had a transformational insight. That's a high level, right? A tagline on a book, 30 transformational insights from 
our greatest minds. Now, certainly these people are some of the most influential people in the world. We've interviewed people like Matthew McConaughey and General McChrystal and Doris Kearns Goodwin. And I mentioned Liz Wiseman, one of the, I think, brightest leadership minds in the world. Susan Cain wrote a book called Quiet about introverts living in a world of extroverts. But it was not difficult to pick people because they all have a profound contribution. So, you know, some of them were, you know, kidnapped victims that survived horrific physical and emotional impact. You know, some of them are survivors of airplane crashes. Wait till you read Master Mentors Volume 2. I'll tell you, one of the chapters I love the most is from Stedman Graham. Now, Stedman Graham is a fairly well-known entrepreneur, uh, philanthropist, businessman, lives in Chicago. Some of you, some of you know him as the oh, life partner to Oprah one. Winfrey. Right. And so he's been Oprah Winfrey's life partner for 30 years or plus, and a dear friend of mine for many decades. And, you know, Stebbins, of, uh, a total gentleman, just an absolute finest human being you would ever meet. Stebbins writes a lot about identity, and the, uh, and, the, and the insight in the book is all around choosing your identity. Now, that's an important part because most of us are merely fulfilling an identity that somebody else placed upon us our parents, our guardians, our grandparents, our headmaster, our junior high school principal, our calc teacher in college. But what Stedman says is stop spending your life fulfilling an identity that somebody else placed upon you. And instead, choose your own identity. Who is it you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? And for me, it had, Winnie, a profound transformational impact. I was raised in a upper middle class family, as I mentioned, in central Florida in the 70s. And my father was an, uh, an engineer type, and so my parents very much valued stability amongst everything, right? In our home, it was, you know, meatloaf every day. No filet mignon and no top ramen. It was meatloaf every day. My, val my parents valued stability over joy, over fun, over excitement, over risk, over physical touch, because they were raised in extremely unstable families. And so my brother went off and got a chemical engineering degree and got an MBA from MIT. He checked the box of what my parents valued. Now, I think those were also probably his natural talents, but I spent many years struggling to fulfill an identity that I think my parents valued. I learned that in life, there are two types of professions, people who are specialists, my brother, chemical engineer, and then people who are generalists, people like me. I've been in sales. I've been in marketing and project management. I write, I speak, I podcast. I do a lot of different things. And for many years, I was crippled with kind of envy and jealousy of people like you, my brother, who were more specialist. Now, one's not good or bad, but had I heard back in my 20s, Scott, you're not a specialist. You're a generalist. Go gather all these skills in your 20s and 30s and 40s and be patient. Don't look at the patent attorney. Don't look at the orthopedic surgeon. Don't look at the chartered financial analyst. That's not who you are. Who you are is a generalist. And Scott, you'll come into your own a little later, but the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience and the mistakes you'll make will be invaluable once you learn how to bring all those together. And so for me, it was a profound understanding to own that I was a generalist and that's okay. And an often world that supports and values specialists, neither are good or bad. They're both great. Just kind of find out which one best suits you. So to your question around the chapters, Stedman Grant's chapter around identity 
for me was life-changing. And there's others, 29 others. They're all very short, easy, breezy chapters. You can read a chapter in five minutes, and there's some questions at the end. You can watch the podcast, but that's the one I think I like the most. That probably isn't the one that I started out liking the most, but I think it's the one that's had the biggest impact on me and perhaps others as I've given speeches at companies and conferences around the world. I love it. Okay. I had to ask you this question and this will be my last because I've taken so much of your time already, but I know all of you want to learn more. Let me just tell you, you can listen to Scott every week. He's got an amazing podcast. You're definitely going to want to do this, but here's what I ask you. You know, I've heard you talk about that. One of the things that you found is the importance of learning to make better decisions, when to say yes or no to an important lesson. You know, this was something that you talked about, I, I, I know, on several shows. Can you need to talk a little bit about that and share maybe when a yes factor or aha moment really made you pivot in your life. I think highly effective people are great at managing their energy, managing their attention, and managing their decisions. I mean, think about it, right? Our, our reputations, our individual brands are merely a collection of all the choices and decisions we've made in our lives. I mean, you think about it, you're the CEO of your own brand. You're the CEO of your own institution. And so high-value decision-making is probably also an increasingly indisputable competency among professionals. What you say yes, what you say no to. I'm not great at this. I'm an abundant person. I like to help people. I'm uh, a fairly social person with a lot of connections. I like to lift and help and pollinate and aggregate. And so I take on too much. But I also recognize that my reputation is about making and keeping commitments. Because, you know, you build trust when you make a commitment. You keep trust when you keep a commitment. At the end of the day, nothing is more valuable than your brand as a trustworthy person. When, when I'm in keynotes all the time, I'll say, raise your hand if you're trustworthy and 6,000 hands go up. And I say, nice, but no, put your hands down. Who decides if you are trustworthy? It's the other person. You have to behave yourself into a reputation of being trusted by others through the wise decision make wise decisions you make, what you say yes to and what you say no to. A lot of us are people pleasers in the workplace, in our personal lives, I among them. And so no is hard. So you have to practice saying no. You have to practice saying, I would love to help you, but right now, I am completely committed on my time and my energy and my creativity. And if something changes, I promise to call you. But I would rather disappoint you now than say yes and then disappoint you later when I don't deliver to your expectations. So I think as people begin to identify their values, their decisions will become clear. Their ability to say no will become obviously clear because it doesn't align with either your personal or professional values. I think it's the fundamental aspect of being a highly effective people in 2022 and beyond. Well, Scott, I, I can't tell you just, I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am to have met you and to spend this time with you, to learn from you and to be able to share you with our community, our friends on this show. It has been such a joy. And Honestly, I can't wait to meet you in person. So hopefully uh, we can do that one day. But thank you so much. Anything else that you would like to share um, or things that you're working on that we should really, well, most importantly, where should we follow you to learn about what's next on your plate? 
Well, you can find me at scottjeffreymiller.com. All my blogs and columns and articles and podcasts and books are there. scottjeffreymiller.com. Connect to me on all of my social sites, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, you name it, Facebook, LinkedIn. Can I share a final thought, Winnie? I would love to hear a final thought from you. You know, I think the biggest lesson I've learned in my career is there's a difference between being efficient and being effective. Dr. Covey wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book has sold nearly 50 million copies. And people often mistitle it as The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. There's a fundamental difference between being efficient and being effective. I'm a very efficient person. You can tell this with my personality and my energy and my projects. And it served me very well in life. All of my, my financial success and my professional success has probably come from my productivity, my efficiency. Like all strengths, when overplayed, they become our weaknesses. And I often take that efficiency mindset, Winnie, and I move it into my relationships with others. Our relationships are our most important, important, I think, valuable asset in the world. And so to quote Dr. Covey, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. So for those of you that can relate to my efficiency mindset, don't stop doing that. But recognize that's great for email and social media and washing the car and raking the yard and some things like that. But don't treat your relationships like you wash your car or mow the lawn. You've got to consciously show down, slow down and move out of your efficiency mindset and move into a effectiveness mindset. And that's been a profound impact on the way that I try to nurture and maintain my relationships. It's not natural for me. I'm a naturally efficient person, kind of, you know, check it off and it's done. That's not how you influence people or build trust with others. Thanks for the extra minute there. Thank you. Thank you for taking that moment because that was, that was just so much gold right now. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks, Winnie. You're a class act. I hope you enjoy Scott's interview as much as I did. I want to share with you two quotes that really resonated with me. One being, the biggest lesson I've learned about what motivates me is that I try to live my life every day, not through the lens of I have to or I ought to, but rather I get to. Scott also shared, I think the best leaders are the ones that recognize that humility is actually born out of confidence. Thank you so much, my friends, for tuning in today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and review us. It helps us out so much. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'd love to connect with you there. For myself and our team here at The Yes Factor, we thank you for listening in. We'll be back again next Wednesday for a brand new episode. So we'll see you then. Take care now.